Bina, how are you? Good, Corey. It's great to be here, especially after having talked about it for a while. So I know, I know, I know. We've been we've been talking for months about um, what the next series of shows. You know, our problem, Bina, is every time you and I get on the phone together, there's just this eruption of ideas. And there's always like a dozen things we want to do. And then we have time to execute like one and a half of them. <laughs> so we have to, we always have to play a little bit of triage to figure out how to prioritize it. But that's one of the things I love about working with you is that there's just so much ground to, to, to cover. And whenever you and I hop on to do one of these things together, we're always discussing just some of my favorite subjects. And in this case, you know, polarity thinking is and mine. Um, and, yeah. mine, and mine too. And that's a good problem to have, to have, uh, to have, you know, so many ideas and, and in some ways they all interconnect, right? They intersect right. and polarity right. will show up everywhere. So it's my most exciting topic. And that has been my experience is that it really shows up absolutely everywhere. I mean, Ken often talks about how integral theory itself, he uses the word psychoactive to describe learning integral theory, where it's like once the toothpaste is out of the tube, you're, you're not getting it back in. Uh, and polarity thinking, it's the exact same thing. It's like once you learn sort of the basics of how to manage and integrate polarities, you start seeing them everywhere. And, you know, one of the things I was talking to you about, um, I was chatting with you about earlier is for me personally, how it's landed is it's helped me so much, not only with my sort of interior intrapersonal development and awakening and just sort of navigating my way through some of these patterns and tendencies and, and all that, but also epistemically. I mean, when I look out at the world and I try to make sense of the world around me, uh, polarity thinking has been absolutely invaluable because it helps us, you know, get through our own biases and our own sort of presuppositions and whatever judgments, fully formed judgments we're walking into a conversation with, and it's helping us recognize what's in our blind spot. What are we missing? What's valuable about the other perspective? And it's not a perspective that you need to agree with or even disagree with at the, at the end of the day. But if you're not actually working to integrate sort of the deep features of, of that polarity of that, you know, coming from that opposite pole, then you're probably missing something really, really important. So you know, all of which is just to say this, this work has been um, tremendously beneficial for me personally. And it's come into a lot of the shows that we've been doing uh, ever since we launched this course. And um, I thank you for bringing this, you know, to us, to the integral audience. Um, it's been, it's been such a great ride. Yeah, of course. I, I couldn't agree with you more. It is a tool for seeing and seeing is relieving. So it helps us to see more completely. And we all have our lenses. We all have our biases. We all have our biases. We all have, have our preferences. And I think it's a great tool to begin to see what is unconscious also. It helps you open the doors to see the things that you couldn't see. And then you wonder, well, why didn't I see that before? And then you realize that there was an unconscious bias or an unconscious filter and that's why this tool is developmental and it's fundamentally integral or rather it's, it's fundamentally teaches us how to be integral and uh, it, it's applicable all the way up all the way down uh, there's a big relationship between polarity thinking and developmental thinking or you know the levels of maturity uh, so how to be more integral how to climb the ladder of development involves how to integrate that which we have rejected mm. so it's just a beautiful 
integrator is and and I think that's I think um, I think um, a more enlightened perspective is is an outcome usually of more integration. Yeah, no, beautifully said. You know, I kind of think of it almost like uh, you know, it's one of these these sort of technologies of consciousness, this interior technologies. It's a it's a fairly simple sort of mechanic that we use in all sorts of facets of our lives. You know, you're talking about sort of how it can help us with growth and development. This also helps us with the waking up path, mm -hmm. right? This helps us with, as you just said, cleaning up. I mean, to reclaim some of our hidden shadows and again, the biases and the, and the presuppositions that we walk around with, it helps us reclaim and reintegrate so much of that. And then finally, it helps us to show up more fully in this world and to be more skillful and to, uh, you know, have the capacity to engage with people on a, on, on a much deeper level where, you know, really everyone, it becomes easier to see how everyone kind of has a place and everyone can fit into a larger conversation, whatever that conversation happens to be. I mean, you know, these days we're talking a lot about gun violence in the wake of the Rittenhouse verdict, for example, polarity thinking helps me navigate that. Helps me navigate the political divides that I see out there as much as sort of the, the tensions that I feel, you know, within myself, within my own mind and my own heart. Um, so it's just been, it, it, it's precious. It reminds me of, you know, Ken often talked about how uh, Robert Keegan's uh, framing of subject becomes object is this really simple technology that can be used, again, for all these different facets uh, of our being. And polarity thinking is, it, it's something very similar to me. Yeah, and I think polarity thinking does the opposite as well, is enabling object becoming an integrated subject. The things mm. that we push away, the thing that we don't see, helps us to integrate into a new level of integrated subject, which, which is actually developmental. Yeah. And so even subject, making subject object is only one pole. <laughs> and that's a polarity, making subject object and making object subject. And if you miss the other pole, you're missing half of development that's right beautifully said i mean because that's shadow work right i mean you're supposed to i mean that's you're supposed to go three two one one two three you got to right. push it out pull it back in you need that it's a it's a it's a it's almost like breath work in a certain kind of way yeah 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 absolutely well yeah. beautiful all all the more reason i'm excited to have this conversation with you today so let's talk to our audience about what we're going to be doing um so we are designing this segment to be as interactive as possible um, these shows are always so much better when we get to talk to you at home. I mean, being a, you and I can hop on the phone and talk to each other whenever we want. We, you know, uh, having the opportunity to actually talk with our audience, I think is a really cool uh, and special thing. So um, I'm we hoping we folks... have a question. We already have a question. So should we start just like jump off with a question or do you want to give some kind of, you know, opening salvo? No, here? I'm actually curious to see how many people on the call are familiar with polarities because we use the word. And if you don't understand the way we are using it, in some ways we are codifying it in a particular way. And so uh, if there are people who, who, they, who this is new to, I think it would help to give a little introduction. But if everybody here is familiar, then we can just jump into some questions. Yeah. Um, is there a way of checking? I could, if, if, if you know, maybe if you make a couple uh, comments to begin with while you do that, I can create a quick poll um, that people can take uh, right here in Zoom to let us know. Yeah, that would be great. And I can see some chat messages. So, so Anne says, you know, she's taken the course. So yeah, you know, if those who are familiar, you can also put in the chat message and respond to Corey's 
poll. And what I'll do is take this question from Paul. Great. So Paul's question is, I'm very interested in the role, function, and importance of paying attention to the feeling sensing of the body while working with polarities. And I can't help but notice that you are looking at um, working with polarities as a mental function, and then you are highlighting the other pole, which is where does the body come in? What's the importance? And what is the role and the function? So you're already... Um, you're already naming in some ways the pole that you feel is missing from the way we work with polarities. And that is showing polarity thinking. So yes, in order to really um, integrate the working with polarities, we need to be able to sense and feel and use our body as well as use our mind and use our thinking. Often when I'm teaching uh, and we're working with a polarity, I will draw a quadrant map on the floor, simply, you know, line up a piece of tape vertically and then across horizontally. And then when we're working with the polarity, people will walk through the four quadrants that arise from the two poles that we're discussing. And then we actually ask questions that help them to sense into the body. You know, what are they feeling? Which part of the body are they feeling in? And which of these quadrants they feel more body in? Which which of the quadrants, you know, do you actually feel you, you know, you, you're not paying attention to your body. And so there's so many different ways you can integrate, but thanks for the question. And thanks for bringing the body in, because if you're just doing it with your head and doing it conceptually, then you haven't integrated it. If you don't bring the body in, you haven't integrated it. So that would be my quick response. Um, Corey, do you have any other thoughts? No, just that was that was a fantastic uh, question. And I, th I do think it's, um, you know, I do a show with Ryan Olkey called Inhabit. And uh, the purpose of the show is to, um, you know, basically help answer questions exactly like this, because it's so easy when we're doing integral anything, whether it's polarity work or integral aqual kind of thinking and analyses, it's very easy for it to be sort of neck up. You know what I mean? It, it's It's especially since we are, um, you know, this integral movement, quote unquote, is unfolding on these, you know, disembodied social media platforms where all we sort of have to experience each other is these little sort of text windows. So it's easy for this stuff to get disembodied really, really quickly, um, which is why I was glad that the first question that we answered was actually about embodiment, actually pulling this material into, you know, not just our heads, but into our hearts and into our bones um, yeah. so that we can, you know, really again, just embody this material as fully um, and as skillfully as we can. Um, yeah, and I'd like to highlight another aspect of embodying is actually experiential. So we can think about it, we can uh, understand it well, we can interpret, we can name, we can articulate. And if we don't notice how it's showing up in our experience, if we are not able to connect how it's showing up in the other person's experience, and that's another polarity, which is thinking and experiential, mm -hmm. that I think is an important aspect of integrating uh, polarities, which is yeah. different from embodying. And um, I think it's an important thing to include. I see a comment, a request from Patricia to do a brief intro to establish a mutual agreement about what we're talking about. Yeah, that sounds good. And so I just put out the poll. Um, let's see here. We've had uh, 22 people answer. It looks like 16 of you guys are already familiar with uh, polarity thinking. And for six of you, uh, this is this is uh, somewhat new. So we've got we've got a bit of a, a mix here. 
Okay, great. So let's do a very quick uh, intro. Hopefully it'll be a refresher for those of you who are already familiar. So what I'm going to have you do is actually uh, respond in the chat message as a way to trigger your thinking and for me to be able to respond and use what you're saying as examples. I'm going to have you respond to two what I call sentence stems for you to just complete the sentence. So I want you to first complete the sentence. The thing I like about myself is just complete that sentence. And it could be three or four things, or you could say the things I like about myself or the thing I like about myself. So just please complete um, honesty. Okay. Just complete that. The thing I like about myself, Curia, I'm curious. And Corey, feel free to put your yours too. You're cool. Greg is cool. The thing I like about myself. Okay. Inquiry perspective, you're a seeker, beautiful, passion about learning, sensitivity. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, thinking systemically. Okay, so those who um, haven't written, please put yours in. I'll give you another 10 seconds. David is open, warm, heart, caring. Wonderful. So what I'd like you to do now is think about, actually, I have another stem, but I feel like following what I'm seeing here and have you uh, do the next piece, which is when I am, whatever I like about myself, when I'm ingenious, open, curious, um, um, sensitive, then I suffer from, uh, actually, let me let me rephrase that slightly. When I'm too open, too ingenious, too sensitive, too honest, too patient, uh, too curious, and trying to seek too much, I suffer from what? What's the downside? So I'd like you to complete that sentence. And no focus. So I have to go back to see what Anne started with. Um, yeah, curiosity. If I'm too curious, then I lose focus. I lose directionality, I lose follow through, I get lost in complexity, I feel overwhelmed. Wonderful, focus is hard. Yes, when you seek too much, David, you suffer from losing contact with the perfection of the world, beautiful. So you recognize already you are in this experience of privileging something that you love. And when you do too much of it, then you land in these places that are not great. And if we love something, we will do more because we think doing more is better. Yeah, overly involved, too tolerant, yeah. Okay, so now I'd like you to complete um, another sentence stem which sort of naturally flows from this is that when I'm overly involved, when I'm overwhelmed, when focus is hard, when I get lost in complexity, I'm now using your words, when I'm indecisive, when I'm paralyzed, when I have no focus, what I would like, what I really need, or what I would like or what I really need is what? Complete that. Um, like Edward says, when I'm too tolerant, I may sacrifice my own needs. So what I really need is to focus on myself because I'm too tolerant of other people. Uh, so what is it that you need? Something concrete. What would, when you're too, like you're overly curious, you lose focus. So what you need is focus. So in some ways you're describing what is missing. You need to focus, you need to, you need to be humble, you need to take a decision. 
spaciousness. Yeah, David. Otherwise, you're seeking, seeking, seeking. You get, you lose contact with what is. You want a simple walk in nature to get connected. Great. Thank you. Now I want you to complete the last part, which is what happens if you did too much of this thing that you just need? If you did too much of spaciousness and too much of walking in nature or too much of focus, too much of decision-making, what do you worry about? What is something that might happen? So there is another downside that you want to avoid. You don't want to go to the other side because you worry. So in David, your case, it could be if I spend too much time in nature and too focused on perfection, then I, I lose direction. Then I feel I'm not getting anywhere. I'm stagnant. And so then you want to go back to seeking, perhaps. Yeah, notice. And, and what I want you to do is it's feel this fear. Feel this place that you don't want to be. You become too egoistic. You're not engaged in the world. Yes, missing important perspectives. And therefore, each of these fears, places you don't want to be will naturally push you to what you love about yourself. So this is a, a, a little simple cycle. I'm going to share a, share my screen and right now and then give you my example. Yeah, I want you to feel this dynamic as you've been following the four very simple questions, very simple triggers. And I'm going to give you an example of mine. Um, so you can see my screen, Corey, I assume everybody can see yep. my screen. So in my case, what uh, if I start with number one, what I love about myself is I like to make a difference. I like to have a voice. I want to grow. I want to develop. I want to influence. And uh, I, of course, end up doing a lot of it. And I end up dominating in a conversation or when we are in a group because I'm so committed to having my voice spoken, I end up dominating. And that's not a great place for me to be. And I often can hear people saying, hey, you know, we had 30 minutes, you were supposed to speak for 10 and you took 20. This happens quite easily, even though I'm working on it, I'm aware of it. But it's just that the passion is, is so, uh, you know, intense. And so I realize and I get this feedback that I need to be listening, I need to be pausing, I need to be more receptive. And so I start doing that, but very quickly, I worry if I did too much of that, then I worry that I would lose my voice. I'm in, ineffective, I'm in, ineffectual. And that's, that's the worst place for me to be if I love making a difference and I love having a voice and um, I hate that. So that's going to drive me back into speaking out and then that cycle continues. So as you have seen in just your quick examples, this is a dynamic. Um, you can see there are two things in tension in my case on one side, I'd like to be assertive. And there are many ways to describe this. I'm just choosing to describe it in this way. Um, I wanna be assertive and I value that and I have something to say. And on the other side, I need to be more receptive because I tend to dominate, I tend to exclude. And un unless I harmonize these two, unless I integrate, I'm actually not gonna be very effective because you can imagine if I end up dominating, what happens, people stop listening to me right? People will think, well, she goes on and on. And so now they've switched off. And it's exactly the thing that I wanted and I'm, I'm losing, which is I'm losing my voice regardless. And I find this fascinating that if we pursue the very thing we love, then we lose the very benefits we pursue that for. And you can apply it into each of your own 
um, each of your examples that you came up with. If you're trying to seek, 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 you lose contact with what is, then you wanna go and stay with what is, but then you worry that you're not contributing and you don't wanna do that. And so you come back to seeking to make a difference. Uh, a little bit similar, uh, but described slightly differently, you know, David's in my example. So this is the dynamic. These, these two things, we call them poles and um, they need each other. If, if I'm just assertive, it's not enough because I will be neglecting receptive and I'll end up dominating. If I'm only receptive and not assertive, then I don't have a voice and that doesn't work. So a polarity, it means there are two values, two things that are needed, both needed to harmonize over time. And choosing one over the other will always end up in a dysfunctionality. Now, often, you know, We've learned this throughout our lives. We won't choose, we won't completely ne neglect the other, but we privilege one. And if you privilege one, you will experience the downside. That's also a principle. So the way this dynamic simply works is we move towards something because we love that. You know, you love to seek, you, you're curious, you love big perspectives, you want to be sensitive. For various reasons, that has passion for you and that has charge for you. And so you do more and more of that and that you hit the limit of that and you end up in the downside of that. And you sit and tolerate it and tolerate it and tolerate it because this either our mindset that we have tells us, oh, in, in my case, I'm not dominating. I'm just making a difference. You see how we interpret that. And then before long, it becomes unsustainable. Sometimes it may take months, it may take years, sometimes shorter. And then we realize we have no choice but to go to the other side other, because it just doesn't work anymore, especially in relationship. And we're sitting there doing this other thing that we want to do, but very quickly we are feeling the loss of what we left behind. If I'm feeling, I'm listening, but where is my voice? And then I quickly end up in this downside. This doesn't feel good to me. And I'm missing what I really love and what I care about. And so very quickly I go back and, and feel that that's exactly what I should be doing because that is me. So in some ways we define ourselves, our identity gets caught up with these preferences that we have. And, and then we can lose sight of uh, what the other pole is that will demand its attention. You know, it will demand its pound of flesh over time. and so it's wise to recognize that it's there, to notice it, to name it, and then to be proactively and intentionally integrating it so that we are more balanced. I don't like the word balance because that has other connotations, but mm. it's a simple word to use mm -hmm. so that we can, we end up not overdoing one or the other. So this is, uh, so Patricia, this is uh, the basic introduction to what a polarity is. And they show up everywhere. Like Corey said, once you begin to see it, you see them everywhere. And um, what, so real briefly, Bina, while you, while you still have that graphic up, because um, right now we're looking at a graphic with four boxes <laughs> on a screen. And of course, there's another famous integral graphic that features four boxes. Um, so one of the questions we got in the community is, uh, is the use of the four quadrants in this integrating polarities model aligned to the interior, exterior, individual, collective four quadrant matrix? Mm -hmm. um, so we're using quadrants, but we're using them in a, in, a, in a slightly different way. So I just want to make clear for folks that this graphic is not Ken Wilber's version of the four quadrants. However, notice 
that in Ken Wilber's four quadrants, those are themselves composed of polarities. Two uh, polarities, fact, yeah. 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 And in fact, most of integral theory comes down to polarity. So you've got obviously individual, collective, interior, exterior, you've got part and whole, you've got um, uh, form and emptiness, temporal, atemporal, uh, et cetera. And what I've noticed, Bina, is oftentimes when I'm doing polarity work myself, I've noticed how some of the polarities that I wrestle with often integrate up to some of these kind of fundamental integral polarities. Like this one right here, assertive and receptive, I can kind of enact it as almost a fractalization of like agency and communion, for example. Or self and other. So there are yeah. some root, what I call root polarity. So self and other will show up in like a million ways. And here assertive could be, I'm focusing more on myself and my voice and receptive, I'm focusing on your voice. So self and other is sort of a fundamental root polarity as a function of being a human being in relationship with another, yeah. Yeah, and if you look at the, this particular polarity, you see four quadrants. So the four quadrants in connection with a polarity are the upsides of both. And then the downsides when you neglect one and overfocus on the other. And in the integral quadrants, you have the individual collective, the interior exterior superimposed on each other. And they are a much, much more multi-layered textured uh, quadrants that are, that again, the polarities that Ken chose are fundamental to just our um, existence as a human being. It, it covers, all, you put those two polarities together, it covers all the bases, mm -hmm. um, all the bases of being a human being. So um, that those would be the integral core polarities. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And I do, in my experience, it has been, you can be a master at integral, you can be a master at those four quadrants and still be mismanaging all kinds of polarities because you haven't seen them, you haven't named them. And that's where I find that what polarity thinking does is it trains you in noticing and integrating polarities. And, and basically that's what Ken did. Mm -hmm. He saw all the various pools of endeavor in different fields of inquiry. And he began to see how different schools in a particular field focused on one pole. And then newer schools emerged in contrast, in competition, in resistance, and focused on another pole. And each claiming we are right. And what Ken saw was they're both right. They're both partial and they're both right. And that's the fundamental principle that uh, follows all polarities. They're both equally important. They're both necessary. They're both partial. Neither is uh, true just by itself. And they both need each other over time. Yeah, beautifully said. Yeah, that's why I often say this is the kind of thinking that produces things like integral maps in the first place. Yes. Absolutely. So I have a couple more slides, which I'll share later if there's a question around developmental uh, stages, but I'm going to stop sharing so that you have a good basic introduction. And, and then we could look at some questions or see, actually, at this time, I would love to uh, listen to those of you who answered the stems, you know, um, what I love about myself, uh, when I do too much of that, uh, how do I suffer. So did you follow the cycle in your own example and what insights did you get? So if you wouldn't mind sharing in the, in the chat message, that would be great. Yep. Or you can uh, hit the raise my hand button and we can actually let you talk. Yeah, that would be good too. Paul, I'm bringing you on over, buddy. There we go. Hey, Paul. Yeah. Hi, Paul. Hi there. No, hi. I um, yeah, listen, my question is, uh, I did your, uh, your, your questioning and I noticed in myself the tendency to go from one to two. 
but then not go to three and four. So when I hit number two, like um, in your example, when there is like authority or people stop listening, I tend to make room for that. So not go really to three or four, but see, I seem to want to stay within the one and two polarity and make room for make room for those. So I, I, I don't seem to complete the circle, one, two, three, four. Well, but is there, is there, uh, is there um, an imperative to go to number three? Is there a, is there a natural no. one? Then maybe number two is not, yeah. is not a negative place for you. Is there, is, what is that, what is that, what is number two like for you? Um, so the tension I feel in number two, like when I, don't seem to be able to express myself or I don't seem to um, be able to hear my voice, have my voice heard. Uh, that tension then seems, seems for me to be the, the invitation to stay with that tension. So not so much to find a solution for that, but to integrate that friction as it were, to make space for that. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. That's another that's another way of you countering number one, where you want to make your voice heard, and now that yeah. you're sort of disidentifying with that, and you're it's not yeah. becoming an imperative, which mm -hmm. means number two, you're not in a downside. So in mm -hmm. some ways, you're already managing the polarity of I want my voice heard, and it's okay for my voice not to be heard. Yeah, that's so exactly right. You're actually yeah. moving to that. So that is the polarity. So that your number three is, um, can I be okay with this? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. yeah. Love that. Thank you very much. Thanks, yeah. Paul. And there might be, so just what I would want to want you to watch out for is when does it feel it's no longer okay for me? There mm. might, there might be a time when it doesn't serve you. Because you mm. keep expanding, you'll keep integrating that, and then you'll mm. fall quiet. And then you may end up one day feeling like I'm not influencing anything, that I'm, mm. there's no energy to make any change. And if you feel that that's uncomfortable for you, then you would want to claim your voice. Then ideally, integrating the polarity means how can I claim my voice fully? And how can I disappear my voice fully? That would mean, that would feel like integration where you can do both. Yeah, and that's why my first question came up initially about the, the, the body. So I, I tend to can then, then make space into my body to kind of embody that uh, place of, well, not wanting to change or needing to change. So it's like, and I can see myself kind of retreating from wanting to be an outside force to being more embodied in, in, in the being kind of dimension. So see how beautifully yeah. you're actually embracing number three, but you haven't, you didn't see it. The number three is um, ex like the number three could be moving into the interior space. So from outside oh. to inside, that's the polarity. You are managing that polarity. You're countering the problem that you're facing by integrating the inside. Mm -hmm. You're also moving from, from doing to being, which is another polarity. Mm -hmm. And you're also freeing yourself from being attached. So you're identified mm -hmm. by something, you're freeing yourself. Mm -hmm. In each of these cases, you can anticipate if you do too much of being, too much of it's all okay, 
too much of the body, then you may miss the thing that was that drew you. And that also has value. So just watch, mm -hmm. don't uh, throw away. Don't throw away the baby with the bathwater is what I would uh, say. Yeah. You see the beauty in that which you are trying to integrate yeah. as well. Yeah, lovely. Just this one more comment that comes up for me. I can see this as a journey of being focused outside to becoming more embodied. So that that and that and the, the being more embodied uh, component adds rich experiential value and 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 yeah, the feeling alive sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks, Paul. Thank you too, Paul. Beautiful. Thank Great. you so much, man. Yeah. I see Anne has a question. Yeah, and actually, let me ask Anne's question. Um, and this is, I've actually got another question from the community that's sort of related. So what I'll do, Bina, is I'll, I'll ask them both um, mm -hmm. because I think they'll, they'll probably receive a somewhat similar um, answer. So Anne asks, how to trigger interest in polarity for someone who does not see them, especially in a business environment? I don't want to take a position of somebody who quote knows what is your problem, um, which I think is is uh, some some really great humility there. And it's 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 always difficult when it's like I have something that I know will serve you, but I don't want to like you know sort of beat you over the head with it. Um, but we had another question that I, I feel like kind of syncs up with this a little bit um, because it's largely a developmental question. Uh, hi, Bina. Uh, does work on polarities assume that we are all rational? Evidence seems to suggest that many people are entrenched in their biases and impervious to rational investigation. How do we overcome people's unconscious biases and prejudices? I'm sure the course will answer that, but I thought I'd put it out there anyway. And that was from a commenter named Phil. So both of these questions are sort of like, okay, you know, I have whatever, I'm at whatever altitude I'm at. I can enact polarity thinking the way I do, and I can see it's got a lot of immediate and obvious benefit for me. Um, will others be able to enjoy the same benefit if they're not necessarily coming from the same sort of structures, you know, developmental structures? Uh, so is, is, is polarity thinking something that, um, can be used by, by earlier altitudes? Um, and is it as beneficial for earlier altitudes or is this something that kind of ripens alongside development? Yeah, there are many, many different questions in there. And, uh, so let me start with ends, um, because, um, I don't necessarily see a developmental level difference there. It's just a question of if, you know, if somebody can't see them, how do I tell them that, hey, this is operating? And uh, so my simple answer to that, to that is uh, maybe people can't see polarities, but everybody feels them. Mm -hmm. It Because everybody is subject to them. Everybody is privileging something, having a bias, having a preference, and everybody is sitting on the downside in some way. So they have an experience of this dynamic. They may not name it. They may not be able to see it. And that's something that you can do more skillfully by simply asking questions. You don't, you, you're not telling them that you know what their problem is because even that I wouldn't do, even if I'm working with somebody and I can sense a polarity that they are struggling with, I would want them to begin to describe their experience and then name it themselves. So I will very rarely say, this is the polarity that's operating in you. Because when you work with somebody else, you have to follow how they see their experience and how they might name their experience. 
So uh, the simple thing, Anne, is just follow, you know, ask the questions, you know, uh, if if they are over focusing on something, then you can ask a question. Well, when you do too much of this, uh, you know, what are you experiencing? What are some of the downsides? Or what do you think is needed? Or do you do you want to shift? Or people are people asking you to be somebody else? People asking you to focus on something else. And um, what are you concerned about? What if what are you what don't you like about the other view? And if you did embrace the other view, what 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 is your fear? So once you understand the, the four quadrants or dimensions that emerge when a polarity is at play, then you can ask the questions very conversationally and the person can get a sense. So that would be my first question is, people can't see them, but everybody feels them. Everybody is in the dynamic because it's a human condition. Um, the second thing is I would um, tailor the simplicity or the complexity with which I might address what they are going through based on my understanding of their capacity. So mm -hmm. if they are very concrete, they are simple, they, they can't see systems and they can only see either or black and white, you know, mechanical logic, then I will just be very simple and concrete and I will want to connect to their experience and look for what they are wanting to solve. But if they are capable of interdependent thinking, they are integrally informed and they are understanding that they have unconscious um, world, you know, that they are wanting to become aware of, then I might go into much greater nuance. I might even talk about polarities that happen within, within you, like intrapersonal polarities. And then there are polarities that show up between people, which would be interpersonal polarities. And then there are other polarities that show up in systems like structural polarities. So I might, I might go into great uh, uh, nuance and greater complexity based on the level of understanding capacity of the other person. Mm. Um, coming back, so those are the two things I wanted to mention to Anne. Now, you had mentioned the question that had come up in, can you just repeat that question that came on the course platform? Sure, uh, let's see here. Does work and polarities assume we're all rational? Evidence seems to suggest that many people are entrenched in their biases and impervious to rational investigation. How do we overcome people's unconscious biases and prejudices? I'm sure the course will answer this, but I thought I'd put it out there anyway. Okay, so how do we overcome unconscious biases and prejudices? My first response is by working on your own. Mm -hmm. You know, find out where your unconscious bias is and how do you figure that out? That, so that would be one. But in terms of, yes, most many people are not rational and uh, they are still effective in some parts of their life because they have applied their mind and they have mm -hmm. gotten successful in something or the other. So you want to use what they're already doing and help them see something that they are not quite seeing. And, um, you know, we're all using our thinking capacity to solve problems, to make sense of what is going on and to achieve a new life or a different world for ourselves and for others. Um, and uh, we can't do that without employing some rationality. So yes, some people may not be applying their rationality in this way. And this is, um, fantastic way to actually invite them to think about, about what their unconscious preferences are. And you don't think about them by asking them. You just think about them by looking at what they're experiencing and what is their experience revealing to them about 
what was unconscious. Mm-hmm. So that that's would be, fa- yeah, that's fascinating. You know, I, I, um, I'm thinking of, well, I love how, uh, what you said about how not everyone sees polarities, but everyone feels them. And I think that's important because that means we all actually interact with these polarities in very, very different ways. We are subject to, our, to them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Them. Exactly. And it's interesting to take the perspectives of trying to enact a polarity at the sort of um, the amber absolutist mind versus the orange multiplistic mind versus the green relativist mind. And then notice that in spiral dynamics, the uh, the integral level is the one level where they actually use a polarity to describe the level. It's flex flow. Um, so at each of these stages, you can always feel the polarity, but they're probably going to look a little bit differently. You're going to relate to the two poles a little bit differently, depending on what the overall sort of structure of your, the overall shape of your mind happens to be, um, which is fascinating. And I think that this, you know, it's, it's, cause it's like, you know, we can do our own work with our polarities, but then when it's time for this to kind of spill out into the world and we share our ideas and we share like, you know, whatever sort of the end result of this polarity process has been for us, that product then can get enacted very, very differently by other people, depending on their cosmic address. So these things, you know, these polarities are constantly sort of creating and recreating themselves and recapitulating themselves. And they're enacted in very, very different ways by different people, uh, which makes this, I think, an endlessly um, fascinating process for us to be um, engaging with. Yeah, absolutely. Let's see, another person from the community asked, uh, when we're filling out the polarity map, do we need to stick with one specific topic? It's a good question. If this is early in your practice, then I would say yes. It's just simpler to stick with one topic and understand how the dynamic works. Follow one thread. You can elaborate on that thread, but make sure that the central focus is one thing because it just helps you to see more clearly. And once you get familiar with it, then you can work with two or three different threads simultaneously. Then you're practiced and it's much easier for you to grapple with uh, with the dynamics between the one, two, three strands. You know, just like in Wilbur's quadrants, it's not one polarity, but two. There are two topics. One is individual collective and the other is interior exterior. You overlay one on the other one over the other and you have a whole complex world that that emerges so i would say to start off with yes practice one but you know there's no end there's Mm -hmm. no end uh, to the polarities that you can work with yeah especially when one polarity just sort of naturally leads you to another which naturally leads you and it becomes this whole sort of rabbit hole (laughs) just like (laughs) compounding polarities yeah just like we saw with paul right on this call starting with you know i want to make my voice heard but then i want to not have it be that important so i want to integrate just letting it be so that's one and then he also said well that also goes into a doing and being polarity which is another polarity which is sort of sort of um analogous to it but not quite the same thing and when you enter a polarity map or you think about all the dimensions from one particular polarity and you enter it through another polarity the the field is different because the content that comes up is different. The context is different. And they both are um, windows into understanding yourself. They both give you new data about yourself. So more than one is better because it reveals different aspects. Yep. Uh, Jonas asks, uh, I'm seeing regular workplaces as dominated by the masculine polarity. 
with structure, goals, direction, logical thinking, abstraction, etc. I'm curious how you see how the feminine polarity can enter the regular workplace more. What could be the feminine role? What is needed that the, that the feminine comes with? How could a dance between the two look in a workplace environment? And I'm going to say just right off the bat, this is a, it's a tricky question because there's multiple ways we can enact these ideas of masculine and feminine, right? I mean, there's sort of a you know, Ken might, for example, describe it as that there's a typology that um, we can find in all four quadrants and all the way up and down. And those typologies each have different qualities. We can also relate to it in a certain kind of way where, you know, these, these labels of masculine and feminine are actually a set of a number of different sort of qualities coming from a number of polarities. So we often think of, you know, things like eros and agency and, uh, uh, objectivity, for example, these are three poles from different polarities that are often enacted as masculine, whereas communal and uh, agape and interior subjectivity is often seen as feminine values. So it's really, it gets really complicated because it's, we have to sort of carefully define what we mean by masculine and feminine and track whatever sort of other polarities are being smuggled in with those, with those descriptions. Sure, and uh, we can even keep it at just that simple level also. And just if we just look at as you are describing it, Jonas. So what, the question is a very big question because it's a change management question that you're asking. Um, and what uh, I'd like to highlight a couple of things. One is that when polarities are at play, then over time, the system corrects itself because when you overfocus on one and not the other, the system is vulnerable and it's not sustainable over time. So even if you don't do anything about it over time, the feminine will, um, will get integrated, will, uh, you know, will get attended to because the downside of the masculine is so toxic. Similarly, the downside of the feminine is equally toxic. So a system needs to be integrating both. Um, I mean, as you're saying, so what could be the feminine role? What is needed that the feminine comes with? That's that's a, a very broad, I would say, an abstract question. It all depends on the context. What kind of feminine aspects are required in that particular context? What kind of workplace is it? What kind of a business is it? What kind of industry is it? And some industries and businesses come with already a particular kind of masculine attention or masculine focus, uh, whereas um, there might be others that are not. A, a nonprofit organization that is invested in social service already has a feminine value in, in its mission itself. So there's so many layers that you may want to consider and think about. So I feel that question about what could be the feminine role is too broad a question. It needs, it will depend upon the context. And how could a dance between the two look like? I mean, a dance between the two looks like an integrated organization. Hmm. So if there are no complaints about it's too soft or it's too harsh, you know, all the qualities, all the downsides of overfocus on masculine, downsides of overfocus on feminine, if there are no complaints, it means it's a healthy organization. And yeah. usually it relates to how healthy the leaders in power are, how well, in, how integrated they are, how much they recognize the feminine values. And sometimes they're not even called feminine values, but they have, there are healthy cultures where both are managed beautifully. 
Yeah, that's beautifully said. And it, I think it leads us actually right into the next question. Yeah, I love how you talked about um, toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. And this is, you know, obviously this is a larger cultural conversation that we've been seeing unfolded uh, and often unfolds in fairly, um, you know, sometimes harmful ways. I think largely because in our culture, we don't have a polarity understanding of how masculine and feminine works and how either can lapse into healthy or toxic kind of version. So what happens when you don't have that polarity and people keep on repeating words like this is people start interpreting it to mean, oh, so you're saying masculinity is toxic and femininity is good and masculine is bad. And then there's this whole, that creates a reaction, a cultural reaction, which re-entrenches the culture wars and we drift farther and farther away from each other. Um, whereas polarity like reminds us, well, no, 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 no. Every side of all of these poles has a positive and a, and a negative. Uh, and in fact, if we're not putting all of that on the table, then again, we're missing something really, really important about each other. And that's only going to, you know, perpetuate these sort of political cultural wars that we're all engaged in. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it's, it's uh, fuzzy thinking, not clear thinking, mm -hmm. and it's a product of either or thinking. Yes. The either or thinking mindset will say this is bad and that is good because they, of course, they see the bad, they experience the bad, but they are unable to see the wisdom in the good that led to the bad because right. the other was being neglected. And so yeah. what, what polarity thinking does is it just expands the situations enough for you to see there's the beautiful masculine and there's the beautiful feminine. And if you focus only on the beautiful masculine and don't integrate the feminine, it becomes toxic. Right. And if you focus only on the beautiful feminine and don't integ integrate the masculine, that becomes toxic. So yeah. there are two kinds of tox toxicities and there are two kinds of wisdom in connection with the yin and the yang. And this is so important for us to remember um, as we sort of, again, navigate the world around us is that, you know, it's really, really easy to fall into the trap where we are comparing the negative version of one pole to the positive version of another pole, right? And then it, it just looks like good versus bad, for example. And we have to remind ourselves, we have to train ourselves to enact this in a fuller, in a fuller way, um, which again, I think leads us to this next question. I am involved with diversity, equity, and inclusion at my professional, in my professional society. The minorities want to talk a lot about unconscious bias causing systemic racism. Somehow, I don't think that they want to talk about their own biases. The, they just talk about white privilege bias. Are there any thoughts about how to approach the other poll with them? Yeah, this is very, very tricky. And there's so many layers in this. I'm gonna point you actually to Byron Katie's work. And she just did, uh, I, and I can put the link, I can I look for it in a moment, and I can put the link in the chat box where she is uh, asking four basic questions, which is what she calls the inquiry method with somebody who's working with diversity, equity, and inclusion, and who is struggling with others who, are, who, um, who don't even see color. And um, or who are only wanting to talk about the white white privilege and not about their own. So I'm going to point you to that. Simply, I feel you'll get a lot out of that, much more than I could I could answer actually. You know, in a few minutes here. Um, but the main thing and the main thing that I would add is um, is for us to begin to own our unconscious biases um, while we are working with others as well. Yeah, that would be that would be my response. Yeah. And it's a great example because I do oftentimes see these conversations 
getting sort of stuck on one pole or another. You know, one of the things, for example, in the debates around uh, critical race theory, which just to be clear, I'm not hostile at all to critical race theory. I've got some issues with some of the prescriptions, but I, you know, I think they're uncovering a lot of really important partial truths that need to be put on the table and, and, and better managed. But an example here is that, you know, in the core critical race theory literature, they look at, at qualities such as objectivity and neutrality, um, which they enact as, as sort of being a negative. Um, and, and so there's uh, an explicit attempt to go to the other pole of, well, no, instead of being, you know, pretending that we're objective, we need to allow ourselves to be subjective. And instead of pretending uh, to be neutral, we need to allow for like, you know, political advocacy, for example, that needs to become more sort of central. And they're obviously what they're doing is they're compensating for one poll with another poll, but they're not taking that, that, that next step of, of integrating and harmonizing that polarity itself, where we can see, okay, you know, if we do too much objectivity and we lose track of the subjectivity, here's sort of, you know, the negatives that can fall out of that. Uh, and vice versa. And I think what we'd like to see is a more integral conversation that's capable of identifying and pulling all of these different poles together uh, into something that's far more coherent um, than any sort of the uh, of these theories that we've seen so far. Yeah, thank you. I um, actually got, I found the one that uh, I was looking for, and I'm going to put that in the chat box. It's called I too am a racist. Um, let me see, where would I put that uh, in the chat box or I just put it in the, yeah, in the chat box for everyone. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Beth asks, I fear this is too basic of a question. No such thing, Beth. Uh, I'm new to this topic and I'm concerned that I am so entrenched in my personal polarities that I don't even have any idea that there's another poll. Is there a list of polarity somewhere so I could start considering how to identify the places, other options that I have not been conscious of yet? I love the question. Absolutely. Yes. So there are lists and lists that I can, I can send to you, Corey, if you want to post it. Uh, how do we post the material? Well, whatever you send me, uh, once this actually goes up on Integral Life, I'll post it right down there on the page. In the meantime, we can share things in the chat. Beth, I also just want to mention um, right now on Integral Life, we're selling Bina's polarity training for integral life members anyway for 50 bucks um so we're intentionally keeping this very 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 low price because we want as many uh, of you guys to be able to um participate with this training and to benefit from it so that you know we can help sort of bring more sanity and stability to the world so i would definitely invite you uh to check out the actual training if you haven't which um again we've intentionally made very very uh affordable to as many people as possible and um, the lists are available in the course as material just that's right. so you know yeah that's right yeah. but yeah. some of, maybe, maybe we can just kind of riff on some of them right now i mean at least the ones again that integral makes explicit um you have you know interior and exterior you have individual and collective we have um part and whole we have uh time in the timeless or temporal and atemporal. We have form and emptiness, agency and communion, eros and agape, um, geez. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause here and say that that whole list was what are my conceptual polarities that you yep. can you know, begin to look at. And based on experiential polarities, I'm gonna look at the list that people came up with earlier right here. Awesome. So I'm looking at uh, people who said honesty. 
So honesty is one pull. You want to be really honest, but what if you're too honest? What is what is that other thing? So being tactful, because you can, you know, some people say, I don't care. I, I believe in honesty and I'm brutally honest and, you know, take it or leave it. And that is actually um, can get dysfunctional. So you want to be honest, but you also want to take care of the impact on the other person. So you want to be honest and you want to be caring. So brutally honest is not going to get you the benefit that honesty can bring you if you do too much of it or if you do it in, in, in the wrong way. So being honest and being caring, that's a polarity. Cheryl says, I'm curious. What happens when you're too curious? What are some of the downsides? And then, so what would be the other sides? I need to be focused. I'm too curious. I'm all over the place. I would like to be focused. So being curious, being focused, that's another polarity. So you, I would like you to go down the list and, and look at, you can see all the values that people love and then what happens when they overdo it and what they, what they yearn for, which is the other pole. And you, and you have, I think we can name 20 polarities right here, Beth, on the list. And um, if you learn how to see the other pole, then you can get more skilled at noticing polarities. One of them that's been really foregrounded for me recently, uh, in fact, we did an entire episode about it um, a couple of weeks ago, is the polarity between uh, confidence and humility. Being able to generate a, a genuine confident humility uh, in terms of how we move through this world. Um, that really presented itself as a, as a critical polarity for me. Um, so I've been doing a lot of work with that one. Great. Yeah. I'm looking at um, Luva Balo's uh, question. It's a long question. Shall I um, read it? Yeah, sure. Okay. I once had a phase where I was doing polarity management map on a paper, but recently I've done it on a program, like a document program, and it served me well uh, in my career. But now I've been hesitant with drawing it on paper and filling out the paper. Uh, however, I know, see, and feel that I have polarities with the schedule being squeezed in in some personal relationships, uh, wanting to be work relationships again, uh, that are somehow seen to force themselves back in this holiday. But I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having, I'm having a little, I think we might have a, a bit of a language. Um, no, that's okay. But I'm sort of a good space when I don't have these relationships, which were once toxic or felt toxic. So there's yeah. this tension between do I do I focus more on these relationships or, you know, I feel like I don't want to reclaim relationships that were toxic. So I can understand what you're saying. But your main question is that you want to continue training. Can I also do it on paper? Um, uh, of course, you can do it on paper. I find that if you keep the rigor of doing the polarity map on paper a, a little bit in the beginning and you get familiar, then you, you, you can do it without the paper as well. So I would just say I, need, I would like you to practice until you feel you're skilled at it. And uh, I mean, you said you've been working on the maps and you, you can feel the polarities. Um, so I think you should trust yourself. And when you feel like you're not quite there or you don't understand, then go, go back to paper. But I would say do both. You know, it's a polarity. You know, sometimes it's good to do, a, take the template, print it out, write it out and work with yourself. And sometimes, you know, you can work with the polarity over a month, you know, just exploring the wisdom of one and getting familiar with uh, what happens when you tend to overdo it, 
begin to explore what would it look like to explore you know to embrace the other side you could do you could just stretch it out and not put it on paper as well so i'm saying trust yourself and just continue to practice i'm sorry i lost the thread while i was reading that and thank you Bina, for picking the thread up again <laughs> yeah that's okay <laughs> looks like uh, eric troth has his hand raised so let's bring oh, you on eric. over eric is an old friend hi eric Eric, okay. I think I think I'm here. I miss every anything you said from the time you promoted me because it just sort of uh, pops me out of Zoom for a moment. So, hi Bina, hi Corey, hi, good to hi, be Eric. with you. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Yeah. So, the question I have is a little complex, and so one thing I want to say is like an overall concept, you know, overall framework for polarities, and how do we distinguish those things that are and polarities are everywhere. You're talking about that, but there's also things that are not polarities. And how do we distinguish, you know, the problems to be solved from polarities to be management, managed, and also to not get drawn into things that are not really polarities per se, that we can maybe get sucked into and we put them in that framework. And so, you know, a common example has been used like, you know, to go to restaurant A or restaurant B. Yeah, there's pluses and there's minuses, but it's not something that's enduring. It's not a tension between two things. Mm -hmm. So now what I want to do is, you know, take that into uh, culture wars in the U.S. where I live, and hopefully this is relevant to others because I think these political divides are something that's, you know, more than just our country. Um, you know, being around this community of integral, I'm, I'm, I'm great with the stuff of like there's this tension between, you know, liberalism and conservatism, and you know, we we hold that as a polarity, and that there's values of both sides, and like I'm, I'm great with that. When it comes to you know, is someone who's a leader being, um, you know, transparent or maybe being a little bit more guarded? You brought up honesty a moment ago. Yeah, there's something to that, that, you know, somebody who's totally transparent is going to hit the downsides of that. Somebody who's too secretive and guarded is going to hit the uh, the downsides of that. So I'm, I'm good with the polarities generally, but there's a place where I come up with a, a boundary between like truth and falsehood. And by that, I mean intentional falsehood. For instance, there's a lot of conspiracy making and things like that. And it has a major impact. I can grant that, you know, maybe half of a country, for instance, has a different political persuasion. Yeah, okay, fine with that. But right now we have a situation in this country where, you know, half or more of one of the major political parties in our country believes that the current president is was not... Uh, legitimately elected and is falsely occupying a seat in the Oval Office. And that's based on a lot of things that there's a lot of evidence that would say that's based on a bunch of falsehoods. That's a real problem for how our society functions. So the kind of question that I have is like, how does someone who's, we'll call it the polarity wizard, playing off of, you know, spiral wizards and so forth, you know, what does the polarity wizards approach to dealing with these cultural dynamics of how to you know acknowledge the truths of different points of view and at the same time not fall into some of these things that are just manufactured falsehoods to further certain agendas in a way that i personally believe is harmful to our society so yeah it it's it's not easy it's tricky and it's like you said it's complex and um i i mean there are so many different layers of responses so for me i'll just speak personally that when i feel that this is 
there is falsehood there, I will be very clear and say, I don't think that's accurate. I don't think that's true. And I would look for evidence. And I'm, I don't hesitate to be in an either or mindset if I have enough logic, if I have enough evidence. But that doesn't take away from the fact that different people have their different, different perspectives. And um, when it comes to conspiracy theories, I mean, again, there are so many layers of judgment. There's the factual part, then there's the, um, you know, there's the, um, the cultural, you know, social part that becomes a thing in and of itself, because you're then thinking about the collective and, and the collective becomes one, one person as if it's one thought. And um, so we end up mixing up by using monolithic thinking in some ways. And ultimately, the whole idea of conspiracy theorists, I mean, for me, I'm looking at it at the level of mind and ego development. And I think every time I make up a story of what somebody did, did to me, I'm a conspiracy theorist. So what I tend to do is when I am, um, the moment I begin to complain or project what somebody else is doing, I tend to turn it around and ask myself, how am I doing that same thing? It helps me deal with the situation. It helps me integrate. It helps me see how I am dividing the world into black or white. It helps me see how I'm using monolithic thinking. So there are so many layers and all of those are true. You know, there's a place for polarities. There's a place for no polarities. There is a place for either or. There's a place for evidence. Then there's a place for my own filters and biases. And, um, and then I think about how does that impact my relationship with people? How does that impact my relationship with my neighbor? Who am I with my neighbor is, if my neighbor is holding this view that I don't, I don't agree with? So, so that's a whole other layer of exploration of who do, how do I show up? Who can I be with this human being right now in this moment? So, those are all the all the little thoughts that I have about the complex situation. And I'm with you, Eric. I mean, it is it's confounding and it's compounding. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. don't think yeah. there is one. I don't think there is a high level sort of a conclusive, you know, sort of a response to that. Yeah, thank, thank you. I appreciate you shedding more light on that. And I think the, the personal aspect I know is something that I'm working with. So in, in my little town in Montana, one of the people who recently went, ran for our city council a couple of weeks ago was someone who was very into the QAnon stuff and had been one of the people who stormed the Capitol on January 6th. And so, you know, I had this thing of like, how do I deal with this person who has the appliance store with all these QAnon themes you know, painted all over the sides of the store who was, you know, running for city council. And I was like, wow, that was a real challenge. And for me to, you know, get to that place of like, can I not put this person out of my heart? Can I appreciate, you know, that they have good intentions? I think they're misinformed, but, you know, I, I can find that place of like, oh, appreciating the goodness in this person. It means, yeah. well, I disagree. But then, you know, there's also the invitation for me, implicit in that, like, am I willing to engage with someone like that rather than hold them at arm's length exactly. and go like, oh, that crazy person there. But, you know, am I willing to do that? How much, you know, whether that's a worthy investment of my time is another question. But, you know, I think to come over that hurdle of my fearfulness of someone who holds that kind of view and is willing to take up arms and 
you know, kill other people to, you know, promote their point of view. That's a that's a real challenging one for me, you know. So, so one one of the corners that yeah. I've turned um, as I've continued to think about this and try to navigate through it is how um, I agree with you that something like fact versus fiction that's not a polarity, right? That's clearly not a, a, a polarity. And when it comes to like people believing that. JFK Jr. is going to come back from the dead and reinstate Donald Trump, which is, you know, a, a contemporary QAnon thought that's out there. It's like, okay, I can't integrate with that. I can't put that on a map and find any way to, uh, you know, include that in, in a healthy polarity. Um, but when I dig a little bit deeper and I remind myself that sometimes what appears to be fact versus fiction is actually coming from another polarity of like orthodox versus heterodox in terms of sources of information, I think this is where maybe the conversation gets a little bit more interesting because we begin to realize that some of the things that we call conspiracy theory, um, some of them is, is, is a matter of fact versus fiction, right? Such as the JFK thing. Other times it's just a matter of what sources is this coming through? Is this coming through, through an orthodox point of view or is it coming through an, a heterodox point of view? And oftentimes, you know, we know that some conspiracies, we know that... Um, oil companies paid researchers to deny climate change. That's a conspiracy. That's a real conspiracy. And until it was proven, it was a conspiracy theory that was oftentimes only seen through heterodox sources of information. So for me, like just kind of making a space for that, just to be like, okay, this isn't necessarily, this this, this very well could fall into a, a sort of fact or fiction binary where I can write off the fiction and I want to stick with the facts. Other times there's another perspective in there that wants to emerge, which is simply I'm enacting this information from a different kind of constellation of, of media sources. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe it gets a little bit easier for us to make room for it if we relate to it in that way. Um, so that's, that's, that's been helpful. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, it makes sense to me because many conspiracies theories do have a kernel of truth in the beginning of it. And then they look and they dig into things. And it's been helpful in many, because many conspiracies have proven to be true. I think, you know, part of the difference and the differentiation that I would like to make is between uh, something that takes that kernel of truth and then spins it into something else with the intentional layering. Because I think there's a lot of that going on, not only within country, but also geopolitically. We look at the big play players and, you know, what kind of, uh, you know, foreign sources of disinformation have an agenda to mm -hmm. create division and, you know, promote those. So it gets incredibly complex when we add those layers of um, intentionally dis disinforming people. That's a hard one to find our way out of, unfortunately. It's a big question. I mean, I see this as being like one of the central life conditions of our time that is just begging for integral solutions. I don't think any of us know what those solutions look like quite yet, but um, mm -hmm. something is going to emerge. These are all the right problems for us to be having at this time. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I was going to say, yeah, and begging for in integral solutions and also coming back to what you'd said earlier to uh, Bina about, you know, how can I, you know, relate to these people with different views as people and really and, see and their humanity and appreciate mm -hmm. that, you know, they're trying to make sense of a complex world just the same way I am. And that it goes all the way up and all the way down. And Absolutely. whatever my altitude, there's still a whole lot of levels of altitude above me too. Yeah. And that's, that's the polarity is the idea and the person. 
Am I only paying attention to their ideas, to their thoughts, to their beliefs, mm. and, and then completely disregarding the person? I mean, would I kill them for their ideas? Or do And I kill them. I mean, I may not actually pick up a gun and shoot them, but I'm killing them in my mind. They don't exist. They need to be exterminated. How can we do away with them? Uh, we all have these thoughts and feelings. And uh, so, so one of the ways to look at how does polarity thinking apply here is, am I paying attention to the person? Am I paying attention, like you said, to their humanity? Can I begin to understand how they got there? How, how orienting is their worldview to them? Just like I have a worldview that's orienting to me. I'm not necessarily saying relativize everything, but I'm saying that can I consider that? Mm-hmm. And especially if today is the only day we, we have, we don't know if we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. You know, one million people don't wake up every morning. Yeah. And if this is the only day I have with this human being, who am I going to be with this human being? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I feel moved as I listen to what you're saying, Bina, because it's like, you know, uh, it's easy to think in some ways of like, oh, I'm just a, you know attacking a, a, an idea, not a person. But at the same time, that idea fits within a whole worldview that gives coherence to their life. And if I pull the rug out from under them, there's a violence in that mm. as well and that I have to respect. They are where they are, that this gives them meaning and purpose. And, you know, to be, yeah, really mindful of how I approach that and not just mm. say like, well, that's factually wrong. It's like, you know, right. well, maybe it is, but does that really serve the interaction what I'm having? So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, this has been very yeah. wonderful to talk with the two of you. Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. You know, the other the other little wrinkle um, I'll add on to there that's that's helped me with this because, you know, it has been my experience that sometimes, you know, look, sometimes our worldviews are not compatible and they cannot be made compatible. You know, sometimes there are just mutually exclusive views that do not fit together. And I think there is an okayness with that. And for me, that whenever I feel like that's happening, I try to take it as an invitation to take one step further and not just stay in the realm of of conflicting views, but try to get into access, try to access the underlying values that are animating those views in the first place. Because oftentimes the views that we most vehemently disagree with, um, they're coming from a value that we can really resonate with. Some of these, you know, crazy QAnon views that are out there, for example, are really just coming from a place of fear, a place, you know, they're coming from places that all of us can relate with in various ways. And, and these, these sort of core emotions get enacted in very different ways for different groups of people who are in different regions of the country and have different access to information and blah, 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 blah. But the, the value that is actually driving those views in the first place, I think that's where we can find a lot of resonance with each other. And I think that's where a lot of this polarity work can become even more valuable as a tool that we can use to better see each other and, and hopefully to get sort of beneath some of those views. Um, because, you know, my experience is that these days we are just over identifying with, <laughs> with our views um, and we're not, we're not really leveraging our own inner values um, as much as we could and probably should be. Yeah, yeah. Well, we only have a few minutes left. Um, Corey, what would you like to, would you like to, I think there is a comment, um, not a question. So that's good to, good to have and, and has a comment here. 
I don't understand Marilyn's question. So, oh, since when is fear of value? I, I, I was inelegant when I was speaking, Marilyn, and I was saying oftentimes our views are animated by our values. Sometimes our values are in response to uh, an emotion like fear. Um, I'm not saying fear is a value, but I'm saying fear can trigger our values and can trigger various uh, responses depending on what our values are. And I think that that is the opportunity for us to more uh, closely connect with each other and align ourselves with each other. Other than that, I'm wondering if does anyone have any final questions? Let me look at the Q&A real quick. Yeah, I'd invite you to 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 work a little bit more with polarities, you know, take the course or just read up. There's lots of literature out there. And um, I find that this is a it's a fundamental lens for making sense in ways that are more integral, in ways that are integrative. And uh, I think it reduces suffering and brings clarity. So that would be my sort of summary statement, you know. Um, allows us to be clearer and kinder and it reduces the pain um, individually and collectively so beautiful beautiful well again i want to close just by inviting everyone who's watched right now go to integrallife.com click the courses button and check out the integrating polarities training this is i mean it's it's truly a, a, a extraordinary training um you know again one of the things that i love about uh, the course as you formulated, Abina, is, you know, I think that for a long time, we've been looking for sort of a way to teach integral thinking, sort of the way critical thinking is taught in high schools and universities around, around the country. How can we systematize integral thinking and teach it to people, right? And I think that you have sort of um, cracked the code here. I think that, you know, uh, whenever I'm suggesting um, integral ideas, especially for newcomers, I tend to start with polarity thinking because I think this formats the hard drive for all the information that's about to get dumped there. Um, it helps you understand, better navigate, and better internalize um, all of these big, beautiful ideas that are floating around there in integral land. So I invite all of you guys to uh, please check out the training. And then I just wanted to read a comment real briefly from our community. Um, this person says, this course has been extremely helpful and even transformative for me. I came to Integral Life with deeply painful binary questions. And this course has untangled the two-headed snake. Thank you so much for the clarity and wisdom of the course and your engaging and perceptive presence. And Bina, um, I want to extend that thanks to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and to answer these questions and to hang out with our audience and to hang out with me. And uh, this has just been so much fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Corey, for the invitation. And I find that polarity thinking has made me more human, more appreciative, more affirming. And um, so, yeah, I invite all of you to play. Uh, it's endlessly, uh, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. So thank you for, for this and opportunity. Great to meet everybody. I found a very interesting question by Clinton, which we didn't have time to get to. So Clinton, um, you can email me at bina at verticaldevelopment.com. This is about ego death and um, the Buddhist um, uh, idea about, you know, ego dying. And so where does polarity come in? It's a very um, beautiful yeah. question and too big in some ways to tackle here. So if you want to write to me, I'm happy to chat with you. So. And well, and just to let people know too, we are going to follow up this program with another one just for uh, those of you who have enrolled in uh, integrating polarities. So we're going to do um, another one of these 
uh, webinars with um, students of that course. So um, maybe that's a question that we can bring into that discussion, Vina. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd be happy to. And I look forward to seeing you all again and uh, hang out with you, Corey. Thanks yes, absolutely. For your partnership and supporting this effort. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Bina. I love you so much. And thank you, everyone who has watched yeah. us from home today. Uh, and we hope to see you next time. Yeah. Bye for now. Bye, everyone.